Welcome to the Amplifying Optimism in Education podcast, where we connect with educators from across the globe who are creating a better future for learning and educating now by implementing bold ideas and fostering a sense of curiosity, creativity, and possibility. Welcome to the Amplifying Optimism in Education podcast. I'm your co-host, along with our other co-host, Michael Carson. We are joined today with two special guests, Pamela Livingston-Gaudet, who uh, will be able to continue to talk with us about the impact of her book and how it can help uh, as we move forward with, uh, in the COVID times. As well, today, we're thrilled to have the author of chapter three of the book about social-emotional learning, Ethan Delavan, who is the director of technology at the Bush School. So welcome to our guests and welcome specifically to Ethan today talking about your chapter with us. So why don't we jump right in, Ethan, and just tell us a little about yourself and how you came to be uh, at the school where you're at and doing the work that you're doing around social-emotional learning in these times. Sure, yeah, it's a bit of a circuitous path. Thanks so much for having me in. Um, I, I really got my start as a drama teacher because that was my master's degree was theater education. And so I started teaching drama and then technology or video specifically became uh, really affordable and easy to access. So I started teaching a lot of video classes and just became more and more deeply involved in technology, animation, web design, programming. Uh, and then finally, my, my, my last employer, my last school said, can you just stop doing the drama stuff and come do the technology stuff, please? And that was a real turning point in my career. Um, and then I've really been into technology since then. But the, um, the experience in drama really grounded me in social emotional relationships and uh, the sort of you know, the, the mushiness of, uh, uh, being on a team and, um, giving focus, um, uh, 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 to others, taking focus, taking center stage when it's appropriate. And so that, that sort of relational back and forth was still really part of my outlook, even though I was becoming a technologist. And so my interest is as a technologist has always been, how does technology amplify human creativity? How does technology help our world become a better, more inclusive place? Um, and asking those questions, it's really, that's, it's a really great part of being an educational technologist because you get to ask those questions about technology rather than just how do we make more money with this technology. And so it's a really neat, it's a really neat part of the field to be in um, because it, there's a lot of back and forth and a lot of creative tensions to juggle as you, as you ask those questions and implement the, the various systems that schools need. Yeah, I think, um, Pam, I'm curious if you could also just, before we jump into really having Ethan go full into the work that he did in his, his research and what talking about the, the work, I'm wondering if you could kind of set the stage for us even with how he came to be a part of the book, because even in the book you mentioned social emotional learning was not one of the questions that you actually asked. So I'm curious if you could talk about how it came to be there. Yeah, it was not an, the, one of the questions I asked of the educators, the 32 educators in the book uh, and school leaders, uh, but it just came up. It just kept coming up again and again, and people were saying social-emotional health, social-emotional learning, and I realized that this was a critical piece of what was going on. It was coming up very early in the conversations, and, and everyone was saying that teachers and students and parents 
are really stressed right now. And they're very, they were all worried about them. They were all worried about the social emotional health. So I realized that there was a need for a chapter just on that. And I thought that perhaps there might be somebody to write it. So I actually spoke to Susan Davis and Christina Llewellyn from Atlas. And they said, you know, Ethan is really uh, up on this. And I reached out to Ethan and I'm so happy he said yes, because I think it's a very strong chapter and very well done. Thank you. It was, it was a real pleasure to write it. I, I, I learned a lot and it was, it was a really great chance to sort of um, integrate a lot of what I've been doing in technology and drama and, and working with students. Yeah, I, I can definitely say from reading the chapter that it's evident that you put a lot of research into it, both from sort of the literature and um, uh, everything out there around social emotional wellness, as well as your own programs and your colleagues in other schools. And I guess what I think you do a really good job of, you do a good job of a number of things, but um, this sort of demystifying on of, uh, demystifying of like, what, what really is social emotional learning? And you break it down in such a way that I think it's very accessible and sort of like lightweight yet powerful and expandable. Um, and so I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about sort of what are some of the things that um, uh, sort of demystify social emotional learning for those who might be caught up in complicated curriculums or just haven't even um, gotten to implementing SEL uh, in the past or, or during the pandemic? Yeah, for sure. I think that the the nice thing about social emotional learning is that there are a lot of ways into it. And so there are ways that are really mission appropriate for different schools or different districts and how they organize student time or how they how many students they have per teacher or how many uh, counseling staff they have available. Uh, so there are lots of different ways to get into it. I had the privilege of seeing two different social emotional curricula implemented, one at my prior school and one of my current school. And in my prior school, they really relied on the Institute for Social Emotional Learning, which I think is in California. And um, that's a very, as we started doing that, I was like, oh, wait, these are drama games. We're playing drama games. I, I get this. I've done this. And so it was, you know, it was really as simple as getting kids in a circle and saying, okay, we're going to play this game. And then you pass it off to so-and-so and you pass it off to so-and-so. And if there's a silence, we start over again, right? So it's it's fun. It's engaging. It's simple. Um, the rules are are really easy. And, and, you know, a math teacher or a science teacher or a history teacher can learn those games. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. And it's really engaging and the kinds of um, the kinds of learning that the kids do, the kinds of things they notice about each other, that's what constitutes that social emotional learning and the ability to stand in a circle and exchange in real time with other students, that that really forms that foundation. Um, and then, then you can layer the metacognition on top of that and thinking about specific questions about how I interact with others, how I give focus, take focus, um, and, and how how I buoy up the self-esteem of others and how I manage my own uh, emotional responses. You can layer that on top of those kind of dramatic games. Um, and then in my current school, we implemented the ruler method, which is out of the um, uh, Center for Emotional Intelligence at Harvard. 
And so, and that's a much more intellectual way of going about it. The, the ruler is an acronym that stands for the, the process of recognizing and understanding and labeling and then regulating your own emotions. Um, and so it's a pretty, um, it's a much more um, cognitive or cerebral way into it, but you really end up at the same place of uh, being able to play a lot of games and have a lot of interactions and have a deeper understanding of yourself as an actor in a social context um, and what it takes to uh, 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 to recognize issues, to offer solutions, to understand where other people are coming from, to take perspectives of other people. Um, and so all this social emotional learning helps you really focus on the math or the science or the English uh, and allows you to bring your whole self to those exp explorations rather than just sort of getting by and hoping the teacher doesn't notice that you're not paying as much attention as you could be. Um, and so it really allows students to invest much more of themselves in the work and find their own meaning in the work, which increases retention, which increases engagement, which increases the um, they're learning from peers as well as they're learning from their teachers. Uh, and so it's just, it's a real win-win for schools um, because it um, it can reduce a lot of behavioral problems as well. And so there's more time to spend on the content, to focus on the that sort of traditional learning when we allow this social-emotional um, uh, social emotional aspect of education to be, to have a really strong foundation and to spend some real time on it in school. I think you, I mean, you, you actually answered my question that I was having of that impact of it, which is so important of there's often that question of, well, how can I possibly implement a whole nother curriculum? And as you're saying, it's not that it's a whole nother curriculum, it's interdisciplinary, it's able to be embedded. And, and as you said, it actually allows for more learning to take place because students have the language to express themselves, have the ability to think about their emotions and where they are around the curriculum itself. And so uh, if you could kind of just continue on that path of, of elaborating what you've seen maybe and what others that you spoke to saw with what happens when you do actually imp implement some of this curriculum seamlessly across all curriculum, all, all areas, subjects, areas. Yes. And I think, you know, I've, I've had the privilege not only of seeing two different kinds of social emotional curricula implemented, but also at my current school, my daughter is a student at my school. So I have the privilege of seeing, you know, the side where we're implementing these these curricula uh, from the social emotional standpoint, but also seeing her go through it and, and talk back to me about what she's experiencing. Um, so that's been really nice to see it from both sides like that. Uh, and I think that it, I've been really impressed with how deeply our teachers have taken the emotional lives of their students seriously and how much that has helped them, especially in a time of COVID where the students, they're not there in the room, you know, and I think we lose sight as people, we lose sight of how much information we glean from each other when we're right there in the room because it's posture, it's um, how quickly I respond, it's my tone of voice, it's, you know, where my gaze is in the room, is it on the teacher, is it on my peers, right? Teachers don't realize we're taking in that information because we're socially, emotionally competent, generally. And so when we're in the physical classroom, we take that in. But when we're not in a physical classroom, and we're in this artificial circumstance where we're on Zoom, and maybe some kids have cameras on and some kids don't, then the need to 
structure the social emotional well-being of those kids becomes more important. And so having teachers who've already gone through some kind of um, social emotional curriculum about how to engage and respond to students um, from an emotional standpoint um, becomes really important because then I can implement that in much more measured um, and much more structured ways when we have to be virtual, right? And I have, and I realized at the beginning of class, I need to find out how my students are doing. How do I honestly get feedback from them about how they're doing? Um, if what are the red flags I'm going to notice in a Zoom session that are different than what I might notice in a physical classroom? And then how, where do I take that? Uh, do, do I involve uh, s- someone from the learning differences department, someone from the counseling department? Who do I go to to make sure that this student can? fully engage in the way that they want to engage. Um, And so I think that the impact has been that students feel seen, they feel heard, um, and they feel valued. And when I'm in a community where I'm seen, I'm heard, I'm valued, I'm going to engage, right? Even if I don't like science or I don't like whatever subject or I don't like this unit, I'm going to engage because this is my community. These are my people. They get me. Right. Um, and so the impact of uh, any any level of social emotional curricula, even if it's just a check in at the beginning of class. Right. Um, the, the value of that is long term. And you you see the payoff later when a kid is struggling with a certain test or struggling with a certain concept. And you're like, you can reach out to that student on an emotional standpoint, make sure they're doing okay, and then dive back into, you know, polynomials or whatever it is you're trying to get across. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think it's interesting. So this idea that there's sort of a different, there's a different mindset to reaching students on Zoom, you know, that's kind of what I'm hearing. And what are, what are some of the ways you've found yourself or the teachers that you've been working with, um, what are some of the ways they've sort of solved that problem? Um, whether it's they're teaching the regular class, social emotional learning, or really anything. What are, what are some of the solutions and what were those solutions really solving for? Yes, um, that I, I, I'm so glad you asked that because just yesterday we had a professional development day, and I had I had the honor to jump in with I I I went to from department to department for our teachers, and I was just like, "How's it going? What are you struggling with? What have been some of the successes? What what are some of the?" Um, so there, I, I'm the director of technology, but I I tell all my colleagues on the senior leadership team, "Don't say technology." Don't say that word, say tools and techniques, right? Because that's really where technology has become not technology. It's become the way we get stuff done, right? It's just become, that's how we do it, right? And, and especially in a pandemic, sort of a quarantine era, you gotta, you gotta use the high tech stuff. And so um, then, then the emphasis becomes on the technique, right? So I've chosen the tool of, let's say, Zoom um, and what techniques am I going to use to really maximize the effectiveness of that? Um, and so Zoom is a really visual medium, right? And so, you know, I talked a minute ago about uh, how I have the privilege of seeing seeing it from the side of a parent and the side of a, a school administrator. Um, so 
uh, I, I um, was encouraging my teachers um, to look at a modality like uh, video conferencing and, and rather than asking, okay, well, I, wh- what do I have to water down to make this work? Instead, ask, what is the strength of this modality and how can I leverage that strength? And so one of the big strengths of like a, a, mo- a video conferencing modality is the visual that my, my ability to show visual materials. And so um, one of the things that teachers have started doing is these, um, uh, what do you feel like today? So it's like a, a three by three grid or a, a four by three grid of different like animals, for example, showing off different facial expressions or it's just silly. It's fun. It's non-threatening. And, and then everybody puts in the chat Uh, I'm a number nine today. I'm a number three today, right? And it's a sad puppy or it's an excited cat or whatever. And so it's really, I'm not, because it's so much fun and because it's so lighthearted, I am, I'm not really committing, I'm not really exposing myself emotionally in front of my peers, uh, but I really am giving information back to the teacher about what's going on with students. And um, this, the other thing I'm doing is that I'm asking students to contribute their emotional state to the flow of the class without asking them to take on too much risk. Um, and the students, the students are now creating those grids themselves. And so my daughter has created, I think, th- three or four of these different grids. And some of them are like silly facial expressions from her friends and some are animals and or whatever, right? So you can go and you can pick one of these emotional states um and uh it 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 lightens the um it lightens the emotional load in the classroom and it really does help teachers just get a sense of where their students are and what kind of adjustments might need to be made to the flow of the lesson that day or who they might need to circle back and check in with the simplicity of it really strikes me in that Anybody can create a three by three grid. Anybody can find silly images of whatever they want the emotion to look like that day. And it's not a heavy lift, as you said, for the students, but it's also not a heavy lift for the teachers. And so I think that when we talk about like getting the buy-in and having a school-wide initiative that really embeds this and focuses it, to me, everything that you're saying comes down to it's human nature to want to interact and to connect. And it's when it's simple and it's easy and, and we're taking advantage, like you said, and using strengths-based approaches, even with the technology, I think that that's where the impact can really be multiplied. And so I'm, I'm curious when you think about the implementation, what that has looked like in, in terms of how to break it down for the teachers, for the students. And then also in the chapter, you mentioned this as well, I think it's important. And, and you're talking about it yourself being a parent. How do we also then incorporate this, not just within the school boundaries of which now don't exist, but also within the community at large? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I, I think you're asking about I- implementation within the school, but also like implementation in the situation in which we find ourselves right now, where yes. all of a sudden the home has become the learning environment, right? Right. Yes. Um, and one of the things that I realized as I as I was doing these interviews and 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 um, uh, starting to boil it down into some concepts that you know, that all three of my interviewees were pointing to is that. As soon as you enter quarantine, 
the essential relationship of the school is not between school and student or teacher and student. It's between school and family or teacher and family, teacher and home situation, right? And so um, does the student have the privacy they need? Uh, Do they have the internet connection and the tools they need to leverage that internet connection? Um, Do, is, is the workspace supportive? Are they sharing a device with a sibling? Um, And so all these questions come up about how do we, how does a school reach out to a family to help the family optimize that learning environment for those students? Um, And then, you know, I, I don't know that we have gone down this road in a specific way, but, but, you know, it's certainly not outside um, not outside the, the, the bounds of imagination to think that there is a that there's a really strong um, relationship to be developed between schools and families. And how can schools be part of the institution that supports a whole family and not just that student, right? Um, it, when, when the student arrives at 8.30 in the morning and leaves at 3.30 in the afternoon, that's a fairly clear boundary. For that time, we are in loco parentis. We are the one who manages the behavior of that student. At 3.31, he is your problem. Um, and that's less true when we're in um, – when we're in quarantine, right? Like 24-7, that kid is our problem. The family and the school are working together to support the emotional life, the learning, the development, the socialization of that student because it's all of a sudden, it's become really hard and we need to create these new structures around it. Um, And so I think that you know, in in a country as diverse as ours, that values diversity as much as as ours values diversity, that um, there are a lot of traditional institutions that were about supporting the emotional life of the family, and those aren't quite there anymore um, in a lot of situations. And I think we've found that out very quickly in um, the pandemic. And I think that schools have a big role to play in terms of supporting the emotional life of the whole family. Um, and, you know, I, I would love to see schools step up to that role. It, 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 uh, it's no small lift. It, it really would be a big lift for um, schools to take seriously implementing social emotional learning in the family context, uh, not just in the, in the, students as peers context, which is a great context to learn that social emotional skill, right? And you're always learning social emotional skills in a social context. Um, but to learn to for students to be able to uh, understand themselves as social emotional agents within their family and for schools to be able to reach out to families um, around that social emotional health. One of the things we started doing is called parent university. And we've been at this for a few years where we will line up a series of speakers and workshops and discussions. And of course, this year we had to do it virtually. Um, in the past, we've it's been a Saturday and we come for, you know, it's an 8.30 to 2.30 thing or so, um, where we have a keynote and then some breakout sessions. Uh, uh, very well reviewed by parents, very well attended. Um, and we have had some wonderful people come. We really, we had the, um, the head of the Center for Emotional Intelligence come one year as we kicked off our social emotional learning program. Um, but, um, you know, we did it online this year, still with a lot of really good attendance, a lot of appreciation. Um, but it was, that was part of 
the school's responsibility to the families, especially in a situation where the families, <laughs> where the family is the learning environment, reaching out to that whole um, family unit became really important. I, I have a question, Ethan. You know, I'm thinking about schools and districts that have not set up SEL, or maybe they have something like at the beginning of the year, they did some kind of a survey, uh, and they considered that that was SEL, but now they're realizing that they better, they really need to address this in a much more global way at the school or district. And I'm just wondering how might they begin if they had a team, who would be on the team and how would students be involved? And my question about students is always because I believe students should be involved and not just the target of things. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. And the I mean, the, the the first thing I think of is like, what's mission appropriate for that school? Um, and especially for independent schools, we tend to have really well-defined missions and you can go find the mission statement. Um, public schools don't tend to be mission-driven in the same way where really they're like, okay, who do we have? What do we need to get done for them? Um, and so that, that changes the calculus a little bit. Uh, my... My recommendation, especially having worked with um, Gail Gingold at, at, at our school and and um, uh, Laura Potter at um, uh, in the Midwest, is that uh, start with your counselors, right? Start with your counseling staff. They're the ones who understand the importance of this. They're the ones who understand the impact of it and what that program might begin to look like. They're the ones who can understand um, the needs vis-a-vis -vis the mission of the school, vis-a-vis -vis the charge of the school. And so um, starting, starting with a discussion between school administrators and school counselors is probably step one. Um, uh, Kimberly Williams, who I interviewed, is the, um, was at her previous school and is the um, uh, director of intercultural affairs or the director of diversity, as it's often called at some other schools. And that's also a great place to start. One of the things that um, Kimberly brought to my understanding of uh, the importance of social emotional learning is, is um, issues around equity and how different subcultures within your school are going to perceive outreach uh, with the aim of social emotional health in mind and how might you reach out differently to this group than that group um, what needs might that group have that this group doesn't necessarily have as much and so involving diversity directors who understand some of the different needs of these various constituencies and different populations is also a really good first step um, and so i think it begins with that discussion just like okay counselors, diversity directors, learning differences specialists, where are we here? Um, and so what are we already doing around social emotional learning? We're doing something. You know, lots of teachers are very socially, uh, um, very emotionally intelligent, very emotionally literate, and they have really, really strong connections with their students. And so why is that working? What are they doing that's working so well? How do we amplify that across the district, across the school? Um, what's the leadership that we're already seeing happen on the ground? Um, and then, uh, and for that kind of thing, you don't necessarily need a program, a curriculum, right? You just need a few toes in the water about, okay, well, let's spend five minutes checking in every 
Monday morning or whatever. Um, and so giving over time to it is a real signal to students, look, we care about you. We really care how you're doing. Um, and then the, as the students learn to trust that, then they'll actually tell you how they're doing. Um, and that the opportunity for them begins to engage them in this um, cycle of building up that social emotional skill. And then you can start to look at, well, what program is, is, um, is appropriate for us. And there are lots of different social emotional curricula out there um, that, that might be, you know, more appropriate to the mission of this school or more appropriate to the mission of that school. And so it's um, uh, there, then there, are, you can begin to make a lot of choices about, okay, how, which one would we adopt? Why would we adopt this one? How would we implement it? How much time would we give to it? Who are the leaders? Who are the sort of, um, how are we going to train the trainers? Who are those trainers that we're going to spend a lot of time training that are then going to disseminate it to all the different buildings in a district or all the different departments in a, in a school? I think um, building off of what you said, which is this really great way of like holistically thinking about how do we involve as many stakeholders and then also building on Pam your point too is I think you know involving the students in some of those decisions as well is really an important part of it and when you talk about issues of equity when you talk about issues of um, trauma-informed teaching and knowing that you know as teachers now we're actually in our students homes via zoom via whatever the link is um, I think that 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 simple question of what do you need you know, what do you actually need in this moment is the building block, as you said, because there's, you could be at an independent school and have the most money in the world and the, the top rated curriculum and not implement it well and not have students who are feeling heard, as you said, have seen, heard and valued. And then on the other end of it, you could be in, in a school where you have no money to put forward with this, but you're checking with your students regularly and they're feeling seen, heard and valued and you're getting the different outcomes. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that and what you might have noticed from, from talking to people in different districts as well. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's a really good point that um, implementing social emotional curricula doesn't need to be expensive, right? You don't need to, that's the great thing about it is that you don't need to make a lot of financial outlay. You just need to make investments in the social emotional health of students and really honestly care about that. Um, and then, then what you're going to do becomes, um, becomes really, becomes clearer the more you jump into it. Um, and so I think that, um, I'm sorry, will you tell me the second part of your question again? Sure. So it's just kind of thinking about the how you implement it across equity issues and trauma-informed issues and thinking about how you involve the students as well in those, in, in their needs and their, in what the, and what they need in those moments. Yeah. So, and, and that is, I think that's part of the power of social emotional learning is that um, when you ask students what they need at first, they may not be able to tell you, they may be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Because, it's possible no one's asked them before. And so they don't know how to answer that. And they don't even know if you're really asking that question or if there's some right answer they're supposed to give. The more you ask the question and the more you act on what they tell you, the more you build that trust that when they say, I need this, they're likely to get it. Um, and so it's, it's that cycle of building trust that I think is where you start to bring in the students. Um, and then, um, you know, in terms of implementing it in different departments, the um, uh, 
the students are, uh, the students as they um, begin to begin to build that trust are going to be more and more willing to guide you in terms of what they need. Um, and that's a really empowering thing for them because there's a lot of, um, the, the part of the cycle is that they're building their own ability, be, uh, sorry, their own ability to be metacognitive about their emotional well-being, right? So because you've repeatedly asked them, how you're doing? What do you need? How can I show up for you in a way that helps you out? Um, then they're beginning to ask themselves those questions and answer those questions for themselves. And so their own emotional life is becoming much more um, uh, much more real for them, much more present for them. Um, and they can, because they're, they're much more able to recognize and label their own emotional states, they're much more able to understand and they're much more able to regulate themselves around others. Um, and so less and less do they have to act out their behaviors, which I think is, it's kind of where you're coming from with, with um, trauma-informed teaching, is that um, a lot of times students are acting out as a way of communicating. Um, and when you begin to implement a social-emotional curriculum, sure, there's, there's, there's an investment of time at the outset. Um, the, the dividend that gets paid back as you've been, as after having implemented it for a year or two or three, is that you're seeing students who are more able to say, look, I'm struggling, you know, rather than checking out of an assignment or rather than mouthing off or rather than cheating, they're able to say, look, I'm sorry, I don't understand. I feel really confused here. And that's incredibly valuable for a student to be able to just say that to a teacher because then the teacher's time in you know, classroom management or behavior management goes way down and their ability to get to a student quickly and bring them up to speed goes way up. Um, and so that's, there's a whole lot of sort of traditional content-oriented value in doing that. And there is, there's long-term value for a society to have a whole bunch of students who can go to, or, or you know, now adults who can go to each other and say, look, at you know, really hurt my feelings when you said that. Or they can go to each other and be like, you doing okay? Because you don't, yeah, I'm, I'm getting something from you. I don't understand. I mean, I just want to make sure that we're okay here. And the ability for that kind of a conversation to be okay, to be normal, um, and to be just part of working together, that's that's a huge step. And that's, that's a real long-lasting cultural impact that social-emotional learning can have on a student's education and on an adult's career and on, uh, on a work, uh, uh, the culture of workplace in general. I noticed that you mentioned metacognitive uh, um, development a number of times, which is great. I mean, it's, it, it really ties in, but metacognition as a developmental skill really happens more around age, you know, 11, 12, you know, something like that. So, you know, how do you get younger children to open up about what they're feeling? Is this part of, is, is your school K through 12? It is, right? Yeah, we're K through 12. Yeah. So uh, is, is the same program applied to all K through 12 or, or, and, and just changed developmentally according to the age of the child or something else happens for the younger kids? Yes, we use the ruler program from the Center for Emotional Intelligence K through twelve, and the um, the the nice the the um, one of the 
sort of visual aids they have is called the mood meter. And it's this two axis um, way of sort of mapping where my emotional state is right now. What's my mood right now. And so you can, you can have the, the verbal labels on it for what each emotional state is, or you can just have the colors and you can kind of pick a color. Um, and so that's another really easy way for young kids to tell you, I feel like this today. Um, and so for, for the young kids, a lot of what we do is um, uh, response to literature, response to pictures, right? So they may um, take a picture of a part of their body that they like, and they might write a poem about their body, because a lot of a lot of social emotional learning is self image. So really beginning to buoy self image when they're young. Um, and to buoy, to create an awareness of self, like I am a human being in the context of other human beings, I'm having an impact on the situation. What's my impact? How can I take responsibility for that impact? How can I, uh, how might I understand that this thing I said had an impact on the situation that might have hurt somebody's feelings? How do I make that better? So, and those are, those are concepts that even young kids can understand, right? And so at, then as you, as you build that that sense of self in the context of others from a young age, then you can uh, really take that up developmentally uh, and and ask kids uh, to um, to uh, to take on metacognitive tasks about what was your role in that group, you know what what was your contribution? Um, were there were you a problem identifier? Uh, did you help to come up with solutions? Did you help to brainstorm? Did you think more divergently? Did you think more convergently? Uh, and really be, get, get a sense of themselves as a thinker and a contributor, and which are questions you wouldn't ask of young young kids. They don't they don't have the experience to be able to to talk about. Well, was I thinking divergently or convergently in that situation? Um, but older kids do have that ability, and that that they're ability to talk about that is really based on them the sense of themselves as an actor in a, in a situation that has a culture an emotion um, and a, 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 a social flow to it you know I think there's so many benefits to investing in social emotional learning in schools um, but the thing about schools is, you know, certainly finances can be strained and a concern, you know, especially now with having to spend money on all kinds of things. But, you know, the, the, the most valuable currency in schools is really, I think, time. And so how, how do you kind of make the case for investing some of that precious resource of time, you know, when you have 30 minutes with your faculty once a week or whatever it is? What are, what, are some of the, what are some of the wins that come out of a social-emotional learning that ripple around other areas of the school, I guess, is kind of what I'm asking. What have you noticed? How do you kind of, you know, justify uh, this use of time beyond just, you know, the important emotional benefits to the students and teachers and parents? So I think weathering the storm comes to mind for, as you ask that question. And because you're right, I mean, it's like, we're asking how we're doing again, really, we're playing this silly drama game again, really. And there is some of that in social emotional learning, uh, you know, because the, the, it, it puts kids in kind of uncomfortable situations, and they're going to resist that. That's, that's what happens when people get into, into uncomfortable situations. Um, uh, however, 
going into uncomfortable situations is the, the learning context, right? I like I, I don't understand this about biology, and it would be really uncomfortable me to uncomfortable for me to admit I don't understand it and have to go like genome phenome. What are you talking about? I don't even know what that difference is, right? And so that same discomfort around social emotional skills ultimately becomes really valuable, right? Uh, and the it. it it helps us as a school, as a class, as a friend group, as a whatever social unit you want to talk about, family. It helps us weather the storms because things are going to get bad somehow, some way. Um, we're we're not going to be able to make a rent payment. There's going to be a pandemic. There's going to be an economic downturn. Take your pick. There's going to be something, right? Um, you know, we had um, uh, suicide at the school a while ago. Um, and a lot of schools, especially high schools have to deal with that from time to time. Um, and so how do you weather that storm? How do you, how do you keep that suicidality from increasing within the school, but instead the school comes together around care, around remembering, around, uh, affirming, um, each other as supports and affirming life. Uh, and so, the investment of time in the social emotional well-being of the kids is what allows you to come together really quickly in a crisis situation. Um, and those might be really small crises or really big crises. Uh, but it really, it, it creates a coherence in the school culture or the classroom culture um, that keeps the kid engaged and allows that group to get through a difficult situation together with their respect for each other intact, with their respect for themselves intact, um, without, without falling too far in, you know, off the precipice of trauma, uh, where it's like, okay, yeah, that was tough and we got through it rather than that was tough and it was awful. And there's, I want to get away from that experience and there's nothing I learned from it. Instead, you can take away learning from a difficult experience, having invested that energy in understanding the emotional lives of your students, asking your students to understand themselves as emotional actors in a society. I, I think that the ability to act in, as, as, as you said, within the society here and, and, and to have the language and the tools, I'm also thinking about what that means in our current context, too, in terms of being in the midst of a pandemic, being virtual learning for most of the country, either currently or in the past and or in the future as waves are continuing throughout the country now. And what are the differences that you have noticed having worked with social emotional learning at the school you're at prior to the pandemic, as well as during, and as you even maybe forecast of where are the needs shifting towards as we think about who the next generation of, of leaders are coming out of this pandemic are and what their needs are? Yeah, that's, that is a really big question. And I think that, and really important question. Um, so I think that um, emotional intelligence and social emotional literacy is going to be really, really vital in the 21st century. I think it is a, it is a 
thing we will all need to be good at. Um, and that is directly related to the overabundance of information that we're all living in, where we don't, we don't go seek information anymore. Information seeks us. And so it's coming at us through all the different screens and all the different billboards and, you know, our car is trying to give us information now. And so the ability to, um, the ability to filter and manage our emotional state through all that information and figure out um, what impact does that information have on me? Um, how does that information change my relationship to others? That's a thing now. That's a thing we need to be good at. Um, and uh, leaders need to understand that part of their job is to help regulate the social and emotional tenor of a situation, whether it's a classroom or whether it's a, um, a, a cadre of teachers or whether it's a district or uh, uh, in a political situation or in a uh, in a situation a corporate situation in the workplace. There's all in all those situations the emotional lives of those people matter. Um, and the emotional lives and, and emotional life is getting more difficult to regulate because of all this information we're getting and all this information we're expected to digest at high speeds. Um, and so the ability to understand when I'm getting overloaded by information, how to regulate that overload, how to step back and step back into uh, the situation where I'm expected to exchange information and collaborate with peers is a big deal. Um, and the ability for peers to honor the different emotional needs of their colleagues is, is going to be critical to the effectiveness of teams in the long term in the 21st century, whether it's cor a corporation, a government, at a school. And so Schools have a huge part to play in developing leaders who are capable of that, in developing cultures that understand the importance of social-emotional regulation and social-emotional interchange. Um, and it's it's really – I'm really honored to be part of that movement and to be, uh, to be dealing with the technological side of that question um, because – our relationship with technology has a huge impact on our emotional well-being. Um, and so it's, it's a ton of fun to talk to teachers about all these new emerging technologies, which are shiny and new and so easy to sign up for. Um, but really, what is that? What's, what impact is that having on the culture? What, what impact is that having on kids' relationships to each other? Um, how might I leverage these technologies to deepen those relationships? What are some of the hidden pitfalls of these technologies that that I might that the, the certainly the creators of the technology are not going to tell me right? And so, how can I begin to predict some of those pitfalls and um, plan for them? Plan to avoid them as we go into using cami or zoom or edpuzzle or nearpod or right all these technologies that are cropping up around education and um how they're impacting the emotional lives of students love it so i think that's a lot of food for thought and kind of a great way perhaps to wrap up with our uh, chance to really just kind of give our audience something to to percolate something to consider something to um 
really dive deep into as they think about where they are at their schools, with their students, with their communities, with their families. Um, Ethan, this has been a pleasure. Chapter three on social emotional learning in, in the amazing book, Like No Other School Year. Thank you again, Ethan, for being here. How can people get in touch with you, continue this conversation and continue to talk about social emotional learning with you? Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for having me. And I tweet at Ethan Delavan. So you can always reach me there. And um, you can reach me at school at Ethan Delavan at bush.edu. Excellent. Thank you so much. And we'll put all that information in, in the notes of the episode as well. And this has just been a great pleasure. Thank you, Pam, as well, for joining us. Thank you, everybody here. And, and Thanks, this has guys. just been a pleasure. All right. Thank you so much for having me. And it was a real pleasure. Josh and I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode of Amplifying Optimism in Education. Please join us next week for another new episode and conversation with an innovative educator from around the world.